Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. All right, everybody. It's good to be with you tonight. Everybody feeling okay? Thank you to Victor and the worship team for that. My name is Glenn Packiam. I have been a pastor here at New Life Church for 22 years, but you'll probably just know me as Sophia and Nora's dad. So that's who I am. Yeah, yeah, yes. Also Jonas and Jane's, but they're not in high school. So, you know. Um, hey, let's, let's say a word of prayer and then let's start tonight. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the way that you speak to us. We thank you for the way that you already have met with us as we've sung and surrendered our hearts to you. Lord, as we open up the scriptures, open up our hearts too. Uh, help us to be open to you, uh, to be ready to receive what you're saying to us tonight. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, it's a privilege to be here tonight. Uh, Pastor Tim Shepard asked me to uh, pick a spot and come and preach. And you know that he and Mariah are pretty close to having child number one of like probably, you know, I say number one because, you know, it's probably going to be like 12 or something. But I, I, thought, I, I thought I would open, I, I, thought, I thought I would open with a story about when our two younger kids were really little, like 10 years ago, just in the spirit, thinking about babies coming and all that. Uh, because what happens when you have, you know, Tim and Mariah, when you guys have your babies, you, you all sleep just goes away. Like all of that stuff goes away. And my wife and I, we have four kids. And when our, you know, we sort of recognize that sleeping in is like 7 a.m. You know, like that's kind of what happens. Well, like 10 years ago or so, our younger two, they were like coming in on a Saturday morning and it's like 7 a.m. And, and I, don't, I don't know what you guys are like when you're hungry or what you were like when you were younger and hungry, but these, these little ones of mine, when they were younger, they were like, we're gonna die if we don't eat. Like they just woke up, you know, but they're like convinced they've gotten up and they're like, and now I'm going to die if I don't get food. So they come into our room like, we're starving, we're so hungry. And we're like, we're not getting you anything. Just go, you know, figure it out or whatever. And then all of a sudden we hear this crash from the kitchen downstairs. I'm like, oh no, now I have to get up. So I come out, I come downstairs and I look at it and they're like looking at me like, <laughs> nothing to see here, dad. And what's happened is there's this bowl of oatmeal that is no longer a bowl. It is pieces of glass on the floor and oatmeal all over the floor. And then not only is our, you know, a broken bowl, glass and, and oatmeal on the floor, now they're trying to sweep it with the broom. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to sweep oatmeal, but that, like, that's not the way to clean it up. There's a lot of ways to clean up oatmeal, that ain't it, right? So they're doing this and I'm thinking, oh no, I should have just, and, and, and I was like, guys, what happened? They're like, well, we didn't want you to know that we broke this bowl. I'm like, right, well, now I know. And how come you didn't ask for help? They're like, well, we didn't want to ask for help. And it occurred to me that there are some things in life that for all of us, no matter what age we are, is hard to do. And one of those things is it's hard to say sorry. It's hard to say, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Some years ago, a, a well-known writer wrote a book about prayer and she proposed that there's three prayers that we pray help thanks and wow <laughs> help god thanks and wow now i like that idea and i think she's on to something and truth be told i've not read the book but suffice it to say help thanks wow 
think I got it. But what I discovered, what I thought about when I, when I was, was, recognized that book is I said, they're, they're, it's missing a word. And the word is sorry. What is it about us that when it comes to recognizing that there's something that we've done wrong that we don't want to admit it? And we live in, a, in an age, kind of in a moment in our culture, in our world, in our lifetime, where actually we'll do everything we can except say, I was wrong. And so we want to find everyone else to blame. Well, actually, you know, my parents are terrible, and actually my teacher's a jerk, and my coach is a dummy, and, you know, and all this stuff. And here's the, here's the thing. All of that might be true. That could be true of all of those other people in your life. But the strange thing about it is two things can be true. It can be that someone else is to blame and that you have a role in it as well. And tonight, we're going to talk about that you're in this series here called To Be Human, and we're going through the Psalms. And one of the things the Psalms teach us to do that is so, it's human in the best sense of the word, to be fully human. And maybe, you know, you've already covered this in the series, but I think the idea with pa that Pastor Tim is trying to say to us in this series is that actually, when people say, oh, I'm only human, that actually when you fall short, you're less than human. When we live short of God's design for our lives, we're actually living less than human. And to be fully human looks like the way that the scriptures call us up into these sorts of prayers and these sorts of uh, habits and practices. And the Psalms teach us that part of being fully human is not being perfect, but being able to say, I'm sorry. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 51. If you don't have a Bible, it's totally cool. We'll have most of it on the screen, or you can use a Bible app on your phone or whatever. That, that's, that's all great. Psalm 51 is where we're going to camp out. We're not going to read the whole of it, but I want, you to, I want to point out a few things about this psalm. So it starts out, with, a lot of our Bibles give us a little description of what was going on. It's almost like, uh, it's almost like if these are songs, if this is like a collection of songs, um, on Spotify or whatever, there's a little bit of backdrop about the artist and songwriter. Just imagine that, okay? So, so Psalm 51 has a little bit of like, a little bit of a note here from Taylor Swift. No, from King David who wrote this. Okay, just making sure you're listening. And this says that David wrote this song after he had been confronted by the prophet Nathan with his own sin of adultery with Bathsheba. So that gives you the backdrop, right? So it's an individual confession of sin. But then here's what happens. If you, we don't have this on the slides, but if you skip all the way down to verse 18, it says, do good to Zion in your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Now, it's not easily, it's not obvious to us, but build up the walls of Jerusalem is something they would have prayed hundreds of years after David. When David was king, Jerusalem was great. Jerusalem was like a super strong city. So it doesn't make sense that David would have added that line. And in fact, what is most likely what happened is David wrote this individual song of confession and they began singing it for generations and generations and lots of years went by. And then they found themselves in trouble as a nation. The nation had committed spiritual adultery. They had worshipped other gods. And they'd ended up in exile and their city had been burned to the ground. And then they return and they're like, is there a song we could sing about this occasion? And they're like, ah, oh, David wrote one about his sin. And then they're like, well, hang on a second. It's, what if it's not just his song? What if it's our song? And it's kind of like, you know, I don't know if worship team, worship leaders, it's kind of like you take an old hymn and then you add a chorus to it, you know. 
Chris Tomlin does this stuff. Like lots of people do this stuff. You're like, oh, let's just take a well-known song. Let's just add a couple lines and now it's mine, right? So somebody did, somebody did that to David. David wrote this song about his sin. And a couple of generations later, someone was like, man, that's a good song, but it needs an extra line. And they just added the, the remix version of it. What I'm trying to say to you is Psalm 51 is not just one dude's prayer of confession. It became the whole nation's prayer of confession. And so when we look at it tonight, when we look at the psalm, we're not, just, we're not looking at it as like a piece of history and like, oh, that's cool. Look at that old song. You know? We're looking at it and saying, oh my, how is this song our song? How is this prayer our prayer? Are you ready? Yes? Yes? Ready? Okay. The first thing we notice in Psalm 51 is that sin takes many forms. If you read the first few verses, David uses lots of different words for sin. Sin takes many forms. He, he, he says, cleanse me from my sin. He says, I know my transgressions. He says, I've done evil in your sight. And he starts, he, he, he says the word iniquity. And they're all different Hebrew words. These Psalms are written in Hebrew. So I want to just name a few of them for you. Sin takes many forms. If you've got that slide, you can go to that right now. Sin takes many forms. Rebellion is one of the words he uses. Now think about this. If you're like, I don't know, Glenn. I mean, isn't sin like the super bad stuff? Just listen to some of the, the words David uses. Rebellion, that's like full on, I'm trying to go against the way of God. I, I mean it, I chose it, I'm intentionally living against God. So you're like, oh, obviously it's not me. I'm in youth group, Glenn. Like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Second word, second word of sin, okay, for sin, is he uses this word waywardness. Now, waywardness is interesting. Any of you driving? Any of you in the room? You got your permit or your license? Good for you. Waywardness is what happens when you're not paying attention. <laughs> waywardness is like you're driving, and then you're like, oh, somebody texted me. Oh, my gosh. And, that, and then you drift. That, when David says, I confess my waywardness, what he's saying is, I kind of lost focus, if I'm honest. I was checking my notifications, and, and I drifted. Waywardness is not rebellion. It's just you drifted. And listen, listen, you guys, I, I, I know story after story after story of young people who said, I don't know what happened. I don't know how I ended up here. And what happened was you stopped paying attention. What happened was you're like, I don't know, I just started hanging out with this, this group of friends and they were talking about this and then we started doing this and the next thing I know I was looking at this and then after that we started going. And you're like, how, how, what, how did I end up here? And it's like driving and you're like not paying attention, you're drifting, drifting, drifting. Oh, there's a curb. Waywardness is the drift. Okay, the, the third word David uses here is failure. Sometimes in, the, in, in church world, in church history, we call this sins of omission, things we failed to do. There was an opportunity to serve and you were like, ah, yeah, I'm not gonna do that. There was an opportunity to make a sacrifice and you just, you, you just, you didn't do anything deliberately wrong, you just failed to do something good that you could have done. You know that feeling? That's, that's, that's failure. And then finally, the last kind of word he uses is evil. I mean, this is like downright evil. Like something that when you, when you think about, maybe, the, maybe if you've heard some of the stories or seen pictures of what's happening in Ukraine, you're like, oh my gosh, bombing hospitals or train stations. There's no other word that we can use and you use the word evil. So I want to say three things to you tonight about what confession does. David is forcing us to face something we don't want to face. He's forcing us to face 
sin. And he uses lots of different words for it. And if I'm honest, I can find myself in those four words. I can find moments in my life, seasons in my life. I'm like, yeah, maybe. And maybe you're like, I, maybe you find yourself in one of those words. But the question is, what do we do when we're confronted with our sin? The first thing I want to say to you tonight is that confession shifts the focus from sin to God. Confession shifts the focus from sin to God. Here's what's amazing about Psalm 51. We don't have time to read it in detail, but just you can count this on your own. But the words for sin, all those different words for sin, are used 12 times in the first nine verses. 12 times. The first nine verses, I mean, dude cannot think about anything else. He's like, I, I, Lord, I'm just, I'm terrible. I've sinned. What's another word for sin? Iniquity. I've got iniquity. I've got waywardness. And he's just, he's like, oh, just, oh God, I got all this, you know. And maybe he's a songwriter. So he's like, I mean, what rhymes with iniquity, you know? And he's, and he's trying to, and he's just, all he can think about, oh, I'm so terrible. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have gone here. I shouldn't have watched that thing. I shouldn't have clicked on that thing. And, and he, oh, it's, he's obsessed with his sin. But confession is a way to turn your focus from sin to God. Because here's what begins to happen in Psalm 51. 12 times he talks about sin in the first nine verses, but you know what happens? Starting in verse 10, he only uses words for sin twice, but he starts talking about God six times. Somewhere along the way, he's praying. He's like, oh God, I'm just, I'm just the worst. I'm a loser. I'm terrible. I'm, I'm awful. And it's shame. And, and then all of a sudden he's like, hey, I'm talking to God. And then he's like, wait, God is merciful. God can change me. God can create a clean heart in me. And the first half is obsessed with his sin, and the second half shifts toward God. If you find yourself tonight and you're like, I don't know how to get rid of the guilt that I'm feeling. Or you find yourself tonight and you're like, I don't know how to shake the sense of shame. Listen, the best the world has to offer to us is self-talk. The best the world has to offer for us is, look, if you're feeling bad about it, just tell yourself you're awesome. Just self-talk your way out of shame. Or, or if you can't self-talk your way out of shame, then just eliminate the sense of morality or rules. Like start to say, well, who said that that's bad? I mean, why is it a problem if I do this? I mean, what's, what's really so bad about making this choice or this choice? So the only solutions the world has to offer us is self-talk, which is kind of like trying to fool yourself, or eliminate all of the sense of right or wrong. But God says, there's a better way. Confession is that path of freedom to being, from being obsessed with your sin to being obsessed with who God is. And that changes in David. Here's the thing, you guys. Listen to this, Psalm 51, verse four. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, I don't know if you've, you know the story of David and Bathsheba, but I'm thinking if you're hearing this song, you're kind of like, uh, David, I would like a word. Because it's not against God and God alone. It's against Bathsheba. It's against um, her husband, Uriah. Like, there's a whole lot of people here that got wronged because of what you did. But David is not saying that our sin doesn't impact others. Hear me carefully. David is not saying our sin doesn't affect others. David's saying the chief person that you need to deal with when you've sinned is God. The chief person you have to deal, the main person, you've got to deal with God. Look, you, you need to say sorry. You need to try to make things right. You need to do all of that. But there's one person in the entire universe that you've got to do business with, and that person is God and God alone. 
And David recognizes that. He's like, listen, I've got to get down to the heart of the issue. Yes, I've failed here. Yes, I've done evil. Yes, it's been wicked. Yes, it's all this stuff. But I've got to deal with God. And here's why this is so important. You know, sometimes we think about sin like, like failing a test. You know, like at school, you get a bad grade. I mean, if you get a bad grade, like, I don't, I don't know what your personality is like, but odds are you don't, like, get a grade back from your teacher on a paper or a test and be like, go to back to your teacher and be like, I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. A D. Like, you're, you're like, okay. Well, that's dumb. I hate this class anyway, you know. Right? Yeah. And this is, this, this is where our mindset has to change. Because God is not a school teacher who's trying to correct your work. God is your father whose heart is broken every time we sin. God's the lover of our soul who's grieved when we fail. So when we confess our sin, what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, okay, this isn't like, oh, whoops, I messed up and I got a bad grade or sorry, Lord, I'm failing at life. This is us recognizing The confession is not about bad behavior, it's about right relationship. Confession is not about, oh, bad behavior, bad me, it's about right relationship. And David recognizes that. Confession, number one, shifts our focus from our sin to God. Second, let's look at Psalm 51, verse one. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. This is the first line of the song. The first line of his prayer is, have mercy on me, O God, because I've been mostly pretty good and it's just this one thing. Have mercy on me, God, because I'm a giant killer. Which, I mean, True. Have mercy on me, God, because, I mean, let's be honest, I'm way better than Saul. <laughs> David is not appealing for mercy based on his previous record. But listen, how many times do we come before God and we confess based on how relatively good we are? We're like, oh, just God, just forgive me. I mean, you know I'm not really like that, man. You know we cool. And David's like, I'm not appealing to you based on me. I'm appealing to you based on you. Have mercy on me according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. The second thing I want to say, confession comes out of confidence in God's compassion. Confession, number one, shifts our focus from our sin to God. But what kind of God is he? (laughs) I know that's why y'all were quiet when I said confession shifts our focus from sin to God because you're like, is that good news, Glenn? (laughs) Like, okay, I mean, I can grovel about my sin, but God, uh, like super awesome, powerful, sovereign God. (laughs) But David knows something about God that we need to remember. God is the one who's abounding in mercy, abounding in compassion. There's nothing you can confess to God that will make him love you less. There's no secret you can say to God that's going to make him go, ah. And maybe you've had a bad experience telling a friend or a parent, and they were like, came down hard on you. Maybe you confess something to a friend, and they're like, no longer your friends. 
And so we kind of think, well, maybe God's like that. Maybe I'll, I'll say something to him and he'll be like, hmm, that's it. That's enough. You're out. But confession comes out of confidence in God's compassion, which means that when we confess our sins, we're, we're not begging. <laughs> we're not groveling. We're not saying, oh, please, 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 please. I won't do it again. I won't do it again, God. Please, 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 please. But we're saying, God, Truly, your mercy does not run out. In the Old Testament, there's a word, David uses this word. He says, blot out my transgressions according to your unfailing love. It's this Hebrew word, chesed. Super fun to say, chesed. I know it's super fun to say because when I was a kid, my parents named our dog chesed. No lie. I mean, no lie, totally serious. Like, come here, chesed. I mean, like, what? who does this, my parents? That's who does this. There's a little, little furball of a dog named Chesed. <laughs> the thing about Chesed is it's hard to translate in English. But it basically means God's steadfast, loyal love that goes on and on and on and on. And when you read the Bible, you see this word used over and over again. And it's used when they're unfaithful. And the question is, what happens when we're unfaithful? God's like, my love goes on. What happens when I fail? My love goes on. What happens when I turn to wickedness? And My love goes on. It's the kind of love that will never, ever let you go. My question for you tonight is, is what would you say to God if you really believe that his love will never run out? What would you say to God if you believe that his love will never stop, will never let you go? What would you say to God if you really believe that? Psalm 51, this is maybe the most famous verses in it, verse 10 through 12. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. It's an amazing revelation that David, he might not even fully under, have understood what he was praying. Create in me a clean heart. The third thing I want to say tonight is that confession opens us up to God's work of new creation. Confession opens us up to God's work of new creation. That Hebrew word for create, when he says create in me a clean heart, is the same word used in Genesis when it says, and God created the heavens and the earth. Now think about this for a moment. Like what was there before there were the heavens and the earth? Nothing. The earth, Genesis says, was formless and void. Listen, I, I know like our hearts are dark, but they're not that dark, <laughs> right? Or maybe they are. But what David is saying is, God, if you can call order out of chaos, if you can call light out of darkness, if you can call something out of nothing, then create a new heart in me. Create a clean heart in me. Make something good when I don't have any good in me. This is what makes the gospel such good news. 
is Jesus isn't coming to give you a second chance. Do you know that? Do you know that forgiveness is, is not just a second chance? Because listen, let's, let's work with this for a second. I know teachers don't really do this anymore, but when I was a kid, I, you know, I was like, I went to a really crazy, my school system in Malaysia, super crazy, it's where I grew up. So it was like all boys school or all girls school and it was very disciplinary and crazy stuff. But I had the, the, you know, the kind of teachers that would call you to the front of the room to work out like a problem on the chalkboard. And listen, there, there are times there, when a student doesn't know the answer on the chalkboard, right? Now, if you've ever had that experience and the teacher's like, come and solve this equation on the chalkboard and you're like, I, I don't know how to do this. Come on, just do it. Like, okay. And you start to do it and you're like, you, you know you're just faking your way through. You're like, I have no idea what X equals blah, blah, you know, divide to something or other. And you're like, and the teacher's like, that's wrong, but good news, you get to try again. You'd be like, bro, that is not good news. Because I didn't know it five seconds ago, still don't know it right now. Teacher's like, no, 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 no. How many chances do you need? Erase the blackboard. Try it again. You're like, still don't know it. Like fourth chance, fifth chance. But this is what we think forgiveness is. We think forgiveness is God just giving us more chances. You're like, I don't want more chances. I can't do it. What I want you to hear tonight is that what God wants to do in your heart is not just give you another chance. He wants to give you a new heart. It's not a new start. It's a new creation. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Not, oh God, let me just try again. Like David, sometimes you can only attribute this to the fact that the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to write this because he couldn't possibly have known that long after his lifetime, there would be one called the son of David. It turns out was the son of God himself who would walk upon the earth and say to people, your sins are forgiven and would breathe on his followers and say, receive the Holy Spirit. David's praying, take not the Holy Spirit. Jesus is like, I'm giving the Holy Spirit. And this son of God, the true and better David, would not just give us a new start, but give us a new heart. And that's what's on offer for you when you confess. If you're like, what's the point, Glenn? So, so okay, so confession makes me deal with God, great. And God is merciful, awesome. But so? Confession is the doorway into transformation. Some of you are here tonight and you're stuck in some addictions. You're stuck in some patterns of, of, of looking at stuff or behavior or your thoughts and you're like, I just don't know how to get free. And all the, the, the only cycle you know is shame and action, then distraction, and then action again, and then shame, and then distract yourself. And, then you, and you're like, I don't know, what's the point? Can I say to you tonight that even though transformation can sometimes be a long journey and will, it will involve others and it maybe involves uh, help from Uh, friends and counselors and parents and pastors and all of that. But can I say that it begins when you confess and deal with God? Because my wife's a trained counselor. I love counseling. I believe in spiritual practices, big, big proponent of them. But there's only one person who can make us a new creation. It's God. 
And confession to God is what opens us up to God's work of new creation. If the worship team would come, I want to read this one last scripture to you. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says it this way. He says, so then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. Do you know that one day, the world will experience an Easter? One day, the, the world that is decaying will be brought up with resurrection life. One day there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. One day there'll be no more death. One day every tear will be wiped away. One day evil will be defeated. But you know what Paul is saying here? He's saying, hey, you wanna get an advance taste of that? You, you, you wanna get in early on this? You're like, yeah, I wanna get in early on that. What's the, what, what do I gotta do? Put your faith in Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away, and look, new things have arrived. I want to invite you to stand with me tonight. You are precious precious young people and it's a privilege to speak to you God smiled when he created you God smiles when he looks at you and if you're carrying a voice of condemnation saying you're lousy you're miserable you're a failure you're nothing if you're carrying that that's not the voice of God the Bible says the devil is an accuser <laughs> But God, Jesus, is our advocate. He's for you. He's the one who'll say, hey, 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 come on. Say it to me. Say it to me so that I can bring freedom. Say it to me because I already love you. And I'm never going to stop loving you. Say it to me so that I can make you new. If you close your eyes tonight. If we could, all over the room, if you're, if you're open to it, if you would just kind of open up your palms like this, open up your hands, just. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in this. We're all in this. The way of following Jesus is not to say that we never need to confess our sins. In fact, that's why Jesus, when he taught his disciples how to pray, he said, pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So tonight, just quietly, I'm not going to make you come forward and I'm not going to make you confess out loud or anything like that. I just wonder tonight, if, would you deal with God where you are? Do some business with the Lord. You can say it quietly, you can say it in your heart, but I want to encourage you to, to name something to him that you've never maybe named before. God, forgive me for this. Forgive me for that. God, I confess to you. This is what, I, this is what I've been, this is what I've done. This is, what, this is where I'm, I'm, I'm wandering. Maybe you're like, I haven't done anything evil, Glenn. Great, I, I, I trust that. 
maybe there's, maybe there's waywardness. Maybe there's some drift happening. You're like, God, I confess, I'm, I'm drifting. I'm, I'm losing my focus. Maybe there's some failure. You're like, God, there's, there's more that, I, that you're asking of me that I just don't want to do. Tonight can be a night where you're set free from shame, set free from the voice of the accuser. Condemnation cannot survive when we live with confession. Condemnation cannot survive when we embrace confession. So go on, wherever you are. God, I confess. I need you. Have mercy on us. According to your unfailing love. According to your steadfast love, God. Come, Jesus. Create in us a clean heart, God. We don't just want a, a, a new start. We... We want a new heart. We want, we want to be made new, God. We want new desires. We want new patterns and new habits. Work in us, God, to desire and to do your will. Philippians says, Philippians 2, God is working in us to desire and to do your will. God, do that. Work in us, God. We're going to sing this song and I want to invite you to to not hold back. We don't sing because we're worthy. We sing because God is worthy. He's worthy of our confession. He's abounding in compassion. He makes us a new creation. So come on, lift your voices and let's respond to the Lord now. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.